Green Divas and Green Dudes come in many shades of green. Here to help you discover and celebrate your personal shade of green are hosts Green Diva Meg and Maxine Margot, veteran radio chicks who share important news about climate change and the plight of human existence, but somehow manage to make most of it fun and sexy using at least 50 shades of green. Hey there, welcome to 50 Shades of Green Divas. Thanks so much for deciding to click on our podcast, to turn us on to your, in your earbuds, whatever. We're just really thrilled to spend a little time with you talking about some important stuff. I'm Green Diva Meg. I'm Green Diva Max. And yes, there's also those things that they sell that look like earrings with their buds too. Haven't used them yet, but... Hey, if you have them, use them. Click on to Fifty Shades of GDs, Green Divas, and uh, and get some uh, half hour of entertainment and and information that's important. Right on, Sister Max. So today's show is dedicated to poverty, pollution, and climate justice. It's a huge topic, and we wanted to at least scratch the surface because we've had the opportunity to speak to some amazing people who are really working hard because this issue often does fly under the radar. Anyway, I don't want to get into it yet. We're going to give you some witty banter first. (laughs) Time for witty banter. (laughs) Time for witty banter. Climate change and things about sustainability and the environment, there's a lot of disconnect. And as a matter of fact, mainstream media doesn't even touch it to the point where they give a soundbite, and that's almost about it. So here on our little green radio show, which I think is really big green radio show, um, we try to get information out to, to everyone about those topics. And, you know, we're in right now kind of still not to spring yet, and we are experiencing some kind of weird weather that... Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> let, me, let me interject. Weird is putting it mildly. It is February 21st as we record this. I'm sure it will be a week or two from now when you hear this. February 21st. People, I know this date. It's my birthday. Yeah, Maggie's birthday. Woo! But what I'm saying is I, I, it's one of the weird, rare dates that I remember throughout the years because of that. And it's usually snowing or icy. It is 76 degrees in New Jersey. We're up in Chappaqua right now, so it's probably like 74, you know, whatever. It's still, we went out to grab some lunch, and I was like, oh, my God, I'm overdressed. I have a long-sleeved shirt on. That is climate change. Sorry. Yeah, we we have a little bit of snow left from the snowstorm that we had this weekend, which dumped about 7.5 inches of snow. And now we have almost 75 degrees. And so the, the, therein lies the disconnect between, you know, people who have questions about, you know, weather versus anything else. I mean, there's, there's weather, yes. And then there's climate change, which is now leading to things in the weather that are extreme. And this is an extreme moment because 
you know, having a day like this in, in, in the winter in February is, is not usual. I mean, sometimes you get warm weather, but hey, you can go out swimming now and put your bathing suit on and jump in the lake here. And of course, there are all kinds of crazy people out there. I saw someone this morning in flip-flops, shorts. I'm like, all right, come on, people. Anyway, the dogs are, my, my Gracie is confused. I see Sparky's actually a little sparkier than normal today because he's like, ooh, spring. I had my grandkids this weekend, and yesterday it was so warm. Uh, they wanted to go walk around the lake, and my grandson said, is this, is this spring? Is this the first day of spring? And I said, no, probably not. You know, but wishful thinking there, buddy. I digress. She digressed, but it, it's true. Um, the, this this uh, weather, this climate change, uh, it's causing, it's it's wreaking havoc in, in many places of the world. I mean, look at all the weather we've had in the last year or so and in the hurricanes that are, you know, Category 5, uh, which are generally, you know, not, happening but it's been incredible what's happening with the weather and again it's not just weather the 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 climate change is causing this weather so we have to be mindful of that fact okay so i just want to do a little primer to what we're going to be talking about today and studies dating back to the 1970s have illustrated a consistent pattern of environmental injustice serious inequity and very real health threats to those living near toxic waste sites, landfills, congested highways, coal plants. Most of us wouldn't choose to live in these areas if we had the choice. Uh, Unfortunately, many folks don't have that choice. Economically disadvantaged people, uh, unfortunately, includes a high number of minorities. They have to live with or get sick by disproportionate health risks, tailpipe exhaust, coal plant emissions, and other toxic hazards. While it it, it can be difficult to pin down and quantify health effects, back in 2014, researchers at University of Minnesota created a a broad picture of unequal exposure to one key pollutant, nitrogen dioxide, NO2, which is produced by cars, construction equipment, industrial stuff, NO2 is, of course, linked to higher risks of asthma and heart attack. And so Max kind of found something that was more local, a real local example of this. Yes, I did find something um, about a local issue in the New York tri-state area. Um, The Coalition for Healthy Ports urges the Port Authority to enforce an old diesel truck ban. Um, This is at the Newark shipping port. Trucks pollute neighboring towns um, because they they are set. They let them idle, and the older trucks have much higher amounts of toxic uh, emissions. And it's going into areas that are near the port. Many, you know, of those trucks. uh, A lot of the, the the people who drive those trucks may not be able to afford to. To, to change them, make them newer, but there is this this rule in place, and they need help to to do that, and it's polluting the area. Um, so the clean, you know, there's there's risks. There's higher uh, total mortality rates are higher, and it's it's the clean truck program is not being adhered to. So a lot of this is being spewed into areas that are near this facility, and 
New Jersey and Hudson, Essex, and Union counties. There's largely working class and minority communities. They suffer elevated health risks due to the proximity to the port. Um, also in Morris and Somerset and Bergen and Passaic and Middlesex, they're also affected. So the emission from these older trucks, they're just causing premature death. They're, they're increasing lung disease and asthma for people who live in these neighborhoods that the trucks drive through. And also the emissions that are coming from these trucks stalled at the, and idling at the ports. So poverty and pollution go hand in hand. And even in, in areas that are that are more middle class, they're getting this. So it's just something that needs to be addressed. In the meantime, I just want to do a quick shout out to our social media, and we'd love to interact with you. Please find us on Twitter, Instagram, and of course on Facebook uh, at 50 Shades of GDS or at TM Shades of Green or at The Green Divas or at Green Diva Mag for that matter. And of course, go to our website, thegreendivas.com, where you can find all the latest stuff we're doing. Stay tuned because we have some really good commentary from some wonderful sources, including Van Jones, uh, Reverend Yearwood, and uh, lots more. Stay tuned. Uh, This is James Cromwell, and you've been fortunate enough to be listening to Fifty Shades of Green Divas, a wonderful program you should support. Thank you. Meg talked to Van Jones not too long ago. Uh, Van Jones is uh, the founder of Green for All. Uh, He's also a CNN political commentator. Uh, His background starts as a Yale-educated attorney who has written a couple of New York Times best-selling books, The Green Collar Economy, which was in 2008, a little bit ago, and Rebuild the Dream. Um, He was also uh, part of Obama's administration, and uh, he really you know, can speak to the topic of, of, of poverty and, and environment. You know, one thing I'm, I'm so proud of, you know, being one of the founders of Green for All. Not green for some. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we're green for all. And, you know, greenforall.org is um, a resource center for people who are really interested in this stuff. Often people associate the environmental cause with very elite a very privileged, very wealthy constituency. And I think that the right. media really tries to, to, to push that image because it limits how many people identify with the cause. But the reality is that, you know, African Americans, Latinos, when you poll our communities, mm-hmm. actually poll off the charts and poll better than the average white voter on environmental issues, uh, in part because, frankly, we don't spend a lot of time watching Fox News yeah. and you know, some of these other outlets that confuse a big part of the white population. Yeah. Um, you know, we're we're looking very, you know, honestly at the facts and and the idea that, hey, listen, you know, we want to live in cleaner neighborhoods, we want to have cleaner air, air, we want to have cleaner water, and there's not a big constituency inside of our community saying, well, all that stuff is is socialism and it's going to you know destroy you know freedom. <laughs> And so, therefore, our communities actually tend to be much more supportive politically um, and also um, are much more open to solutions, even if you say that it may cost more to have clean air and clean water. um, African-Americans and Latinos say that's fine. Uh, They they understand the public health uh, implications. So, really, the actual environmental movement is much broader than most people think. It's much more diverse than most people know. It's much more 
I'm hopeful and optimistic that most people understand because people are looking for Nobody thinks if you're a Latino kid growing up someplace in, in, in Texas that you're going to get a great job in a coal mine. Yeah. There's no African Americans in Ohio thinking they're going to get great jobs on oil, oil rigs. Right. But all of those young people can imagine uh, uh, having a, a solar future, having a, a future where energy efficiency with computers is, is a big part. And we gotta, we got to lift those voices up a lot better than we do. And Green for All is focused on cut carbon, you should cut poverty, too. When you cut carbon, you should cut, cut hopelessness, too, by creating more jobs in solar, more jobs in weatherization, more jobs in energy efficiency, more jobs in uh, wind uh, energy, wind technology. And uh, you know, greenforall.org is a, is a real clearinghouse for these efforts. And you know, I'm so proud that uh, Vien Trung, who is going to be just a, a massive global ecological heroine, um, young attorney who just joined our, our oh. team and she's now running Green for All. As you just heard Van Jones mentioned, Vien Truong, who is the CEO of Green for All. She is one of the country's most foremost policy experts and strategists on building an equitable green economy. She serves as CEO of the Dream Corps and, of course, leads Green for All, which is a national initiative that puts communities of color at the forefront of the climate movement and at the center of environmental solutions. So Vienne talks about the EPA and why it's so important that we save it. You know, one of the things that is so sad about the country today is the bipartisan split on issues that are fundamental to our families and should not be play for political, you know, back and forth. The environmental and climate issues are key examples to that. It shouldn't be negotiable that for families like those who are in Flint, that they cannot even use their tap water to take a shower or to take a bath or to wash their vegetables. It shouldn't be negotiable that for families like mine, that my kids can't play in the backyard. So this shouldn't be a partisan issue. And because of that, we brought together a bipartisan group of champions for the environment, our moms, who are protecting the kids' future. And we had moms from Flint, Michigan, from Houston, Texas, from Miami, Florida, and from across the country coming together. In fact, we had 300,000 signatures of moms coming together to say, we have to protect our future, we have to protect our kids, protect our households, our drinking water, our air, and they are pushing to defend against cutting into the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency so that that agency can continue to protect our basic, you know, food, drinking, water rights, air rights. Um, and, you know, happily we've gotten some champions who are willing to use their own influence and their own platforms to get the message out even further. These include Ashley Judd, Alfred Woodard, Ellen Pompeo, Black Lives Matter co-founder Alicia Garza, and many others 
who've been using their social media feeds to say no to the EPA budget cuts. Probably the best example of environmental injustice here in the U.S. is Flint, Michigan, on the heels of Katrina, of course. Listen to Vienne talk about why Green for All got involved. Right. So when Flint, Michigan was shown to have exorbitant levels of lead in their water, and in fact, it's still happening today, three years later, the fact that we continue to have this issue take place in a community that's primarily African-American, people of color in this city, even more so now three years later when those who can afford to leave has left, now you are left behind a community in Flint, Michigan that is ever more poorer than before and ever more underserved and underrepresented. And so the fact that we have had the city three years later not continue to play big headlines, not continue to see a lot of pushes from organizers, from leaders, around how do we begin to solve the issue, creates a sense that they're left behind, they're neglected, that they're not that important. Green for All has been fighting to make sure that we continue to surface the leaders of the community to be in public, to be at lobbying tables or legislative um, legislative tables to lobby their congressional leaders, their senators. We want to help make that bridge. We were proud to have helped surface more attention to Flint again when we brought Big Sean Russell Simmons, and uh, many other artists, together with local leaders like Melissa Mays, like Little Miss Flint, and helping them have conversations to the country, that Flint, Michigan is still happening. This is still very much an environmental issue. And if we don't want this to be what's happening in Arizona or Arkansas, if we don't want this to be happening in Texas or in South Carolina, we have to make sure that there are federal repercussions, that there's national attention to this. And that starts with defending the EPA's budget cuts. Because the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, they literally protect our water. They protect our drinking water. They protect our clean air. And if we don't want things like Flint to be happening, then we have to make sure we're protecting the agencies that are working to do that, to stem the proliferation of these problems. Vienne, in my discussion with her, reminded me of Michael Green, who is the president and CEO of CEH, which is the Center for Environmental Health. He's one of our regular green dudes. He's been in the past. We haven't had him recently. But I had a great conversation with him uh, about the Flint, Michigan crisis, and he put it in perspective. He had been, I think, in Congress testifying about the issue and the environmental health impacts. But he put perspective on it in in the conversation we had when he talked about his trip to New Orleans and what he had seen after Katrina, which was actually a few years after Katrina. And it left him with some really good perspective that, that has obviously had an impact on him and his work. 
And I was deeply moved by the fact that the communities that were most harmed were the same communities that are most frequently harmed by other environmental health hazards. Those low-income communities of color were not especially harmed when Katrina hit by accident. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a coincidence. What it was, it was a manifestation of infrastructure that is designed to perpetuate disproportionate impacts for some communities over others. And those communities are the ones that have less political power, and those are usually low-income communities of color. So why do I tell that story? Mm -hmm. I tell that story because Flint isn't a one-off. It's got to be seen in the context of how is it that this happened that this community has now these thousands of children who are potentially at neurological risk forever. And, and so um, what happened was that the city didn't have a lot of money, the state didn't want to invest, and then the state made some really big errors that they wouldn't have made in a more in, in, a, in an environment in a situation where that right. community was more well-resourced. So when they tried to exclude the CDC scientists because they were fighting over turf, that wouldn't happen in an affluent community. The, the turf battle between the, the state folks wanting to say, no, we got this, would have been trumped by the, by the, you know, the outcry of a community that would have been more likely to have been hurt. So, so that's a big context. Time for Silly Science Facts with Green Diva Max. Howdy out there. It's, uh, it's Silly Science Facts uh, combined with the WTF uh, afterwards. But, you know, first I thought it was not a science fact, but as it turns out, it actually is a science fact. So in Saudi Arabia, 12 camels were disqualified from a beauty contest because their owners used Botox on their lips. The contestants at the King Abdulaziz Camel Festival had to adhere to one condition. All beauty must be natural. You hear that, ladies? <laughs> natural. This month-long festival is the largest in the Persian Gulf and features 30,000 camels and attracts almost 300,000 visitors a year. But just imagine some of the owners of these camels using Botox to make these camels look prettier? I don't know what's up with that. So like in any pageant, the camels are judged on their looks, and those with the biggest heads and the droopiest lips are considered to be the hottest. The hottest camels with the biggest lips. Pretty crazy. So the certain veterinarians were uh, using Botox uh, for the lips, the nose, the upper lips, the lower lips, and even the jaw. And it's just incredible that they do this. I mean, how big do the lips have to be? It's insane. So with that, you know, wait, wait, wait. wait. I just want to know, like, who's judging the beauty of a camel by their lips? Is is it a kissable thing? I mean, who decides that? Well, I mean, camels are just interesting looking to begin with, right? So seriously, it's a very, very weird concept. Sorry. They're judging them, you know, on a lot of different things, and it's very subjective. So this camel festival have some judges. They have standards. standards. You know, there's technical standards. There's beautiful standards. I mean, so now they're getting Botox, and it's just 
kind of insane. But 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 the issue here also is, um, you know, they're clipping their ears to make them look more delicate, or they're using drugs, uh, which are prohibited by the festival rules. And the revelation that Botox was being used in the competition led to disqualification of 12 camels. The New York Times reached out to Nick Stewart, who's an advocate of the group World Animal Protection, and he expressed shock that this would even happen. He said there is no justification justification to use Botox on camels. Such, Such an unnecessary act is cruel and demeaning. We understand that camels are a national treasure in Saudi Arabia, but animals should not be abused for entertainment. There should be more respect for the animal's well-being. And this article went out uh, in the New York Times. It went out in inverse science. And so next time you look at a camel, you might be looking at it in a way different way. <laughs> um, that camel's hot. Yeah, and, and there's going to be... Or not. And look out for the new television series. The Camel Housewives of Saudi Arabia, <laughs> soon to be on a channel near you. And, and now there's something else. I'm, I'm going to call this the what the F moment. This is, you know, I read this article called Taking the High Road Doesn't Always Turn Out Well. It's by Jasmine Malik uh, Chua, and it was a live science blog. So this is the conundrum here for all you potheads out in California. Uh, marijuana growers in California are killing owls and disrupting, disrupting the food web. It's not very funny, but it is a bit out there. If you ask, spotted owls would likely have voted against marijuana legalization. Who would think that there is a downside to growing weed? Cheech and Chong and Harold and Kumar would never let this happen. And as in my heart, I know that they are environmentalists and, hey, they like green. Uh, Several species, including the northern spotted owl, are succumbing to rat poison from thousands of unpermitted black market marijuana growing sites in northwest California. The owl's primary source of food are mice and rats, and they have traces of anticoagulant rodenticide, which is showing up in 7 out of 10 northern spotted owl carcasses. To uh, pursuant to scientists from UC Davis and the California Academy of Science in a study that was published in January of 2018. These owls are ingesting toxic, you know, toxicants and they're dying because these marijuana growers are not doing what they're supposed to. So, and this is really bad because these birds are now on the uh, Endangered Species uh, Act, federal and state, and so it's really becoming, you know, a problem. So I hope that you heed the words of Cheech and Chong, all you growers out there. And uh, we got to protect the owls. And uh, please give a hoot. Another awesome Silly Science Facts with Green Diva Max. Also, I had a chance to speak with Reverend Lennox Yearwood. He's the president and CEO of Hip Hop Caucus. I had a chance to speak with him back when they released a song, Trouble in the Water by Common, which was performed by so many great artists. It's a really wonderfully impactful song. Uh, had some power to it, and it was sort of spurred on by this uh, Michigan, Flint, Michigan water crisis and speaking to this whole topic we're speaking about. Trouble in the water. Trouble in the water. Trouble in the water. Trouble in the water. 
made man and then came to slaughter, slaughter, slaughter. Everything was peaceful till you showed up on the band of other people. Contaminate the ocean, not the water is lethal. Four bucks for two liters, that should be illegal. For me go, Evo Contigo, can't even find Nemo. The water used to be see-through, wish weapons was food, then we all be feared. I wish narcotics was fruit, I got them apples and red, the nemesis since Genesis. When the water starts to kill the fish, that's when you know how ill it is. Still it is, they do the unthinkable. Water, same color as tea, that's still deemed drinkable. Survival of the fit, how we was brought up. You know, the story was, that song was written at the apex of when the Flint water crisis catastrophe was happening. Um, right. When Common wrote that, he wrote that song um, in 2014, actually the same time he was writing Glory, which he won an Academy Award for. And so he wrote both songs almost in a very prophetic way, kind of telling about all the water problems and water infrastructure problems and climate change. And, you know, we, we have to do better regarding our water systems. You know, we've actually, it's, it's funny, in 1977, many, many, many moons ago, we, we used to spend close to almost $78 per person per water system. Now we've dropped by almost 82%, but we're spending under $14 per person, which, is, which led to, uh, which was part of the problem with the, the Flint water crisis because the water system was so outdated and so bad. They're cheaping out on, on people and people's Yeah, health. you would think, yeah, you would think when inflation would go up, right? Because, you yeah. know, the house is definitely... And cars were, were less than would have gone up, but that that has gone down. And so I think that's, and that song, and you're right, art and activism goes so well together. And Common oh, yeah. using his, his platform, when he did that video, Trouble in the Water, and yes, your listeners can go watch it at peoplescommentmusic.com. When he did that video, it was released on Earth Day. Yeah. And in 72 hours, it had over a million views on Facebook, passionate people around this issue. There's a lot of crazy things happening in this world, and uh, sometimes we have to sit and reflect and kind of have that moment of zen that John Stewart used to have in his show, and I think Trevor Noah has his moment of zen in, in, in that as well, but we all need to kind of think about what's happening out there and what we can do as humans to make things better. We have to make ourselves better individually and as a populace, and you know, collective will is very important. And I think you guys kind of know that I'm a big fan of Thich Nhat Hanh. You know, he's one of the, a lot of books I've been reading that kind of centers me a little when I need to be centered. So I'm going to just read a quote from um, Thich Nhat Hanh from the book, The World We Have. We inter are. As practitioners, we see that we are part of and not just separate from the whole of human civilization. As human beings, we see that we are children of the earth and are not separate from the soil, the forest, the rivers, and the sky. We share the same destiny. You need a moment of zen to let that sink in. Beautiful. Well, I found some words by Martin Luther King Jr. uh, that seemed and felt very relevant. He said, we must rapidly begin the shift from a thing-oriented society to a person-oriented society. 
when machines and computers, profit motives and property rights are considered more important than people? The giant triplets of racism, materialism, and militarism are incapable of being conquered. listening to the 50 Shades of Green, a collaborative gig between the Green Divas and the Many Shades of Green radio shows, happily recorded at Green Diva Studio. Be sure to look for this and other Green Diva Network podcasts and the Many Shades of Green on iHeartRadio, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spreaker, and Stitcher, among other places. You can find more information about this show and much more on thegreendivas.com.